Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is August 3rd, 2022, and we are ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength, and uh, we are so grateful for your calling, uh, the fact that we're here in Christ and discovering, exploring all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are available to us. So, Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray that your spirit of truth will guide and direct us so that we can know you better. We thank you for those who've joined. We pray for those who may still be joining or still on their way. And we ask that you will bless our service with humility, uh, perceptive, perceptiveness as we approach the scriptures in front of us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So Amen. We, are up, we are now trying to get through Romans chapter 11. We're on verse 17. It reads, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. That's a lot right there. We Obviously, it goes into the next verse, <clears throat> but we, we, I don't know if we're going to be able to cover everything today. Because the last part of that is, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. That's sort of the end of the thought. Well, there's more, but obviously we'll get to it. So, um, to note, we've been talking about the website, which is wordistruth.com. And... Um, just want to continue to put that before you. Yeah, I just was looking into some revelation today, and it was quite interesting to behold some of the things that we we covered and and how we covered it and all of that. And that goes back quite a ways, 2006. In any case, um, I know it was probably later, but even still, it was early 2000s 2008 or something but it was it was i really i think i listened to two messages there and it was rewarding so i'm just recommending the website you know we'll give you you might end up with more questions than than answers but let's just say um i find it as a resource so let's get ourselves underway here you should have notes. Uh, yes, here it is. So as we continue to develop analogies, there is something we must keep in mind. The analogies are not designed for us to mold into any, mes any message we want to give. The purpose of analogies and metaphors is to elaborate and make clear what God is already saying to us in the context. I know this seems obvious, but we must take time to review our assumptions, 
to be sure they are contextual and relevant to the message. God is using these analogous examples to reason with us. A point to remember, metaphors and analogies validate the context. The context validates the central principle or truth. So that's something to think about as we go forward. Um, what you will find is, uh, even though these, I'm sort of setting up rules of interpretation, you will find that they, they seem logical to me. Maybe, you know, if someone wants to discuss why would we have such rules or why would I say it that way, I'd be certainly open to that. But uh, I think it's important that uh, we understand analogies from the standpoint of what they are trying to tell us about the context. Uh, Paul is usually doing just that. So let's dig in. We've got a lot of ground to cover. So we, we took, took this, <clears throat> this first phrase, if some of the branches have been broken off. So the question is, have some of the branches been broken off? Because there's the if there. So really, the if there in that uh, context is if and it's true. Because it is true that some have been broken off. So I say yes. And if we look at verse 20, we can see exactly where. Let me go to Romans 11. I'm getting set up here. So verse 20 says it this way. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. So we'll get to that verse eventually. Uh, it should raise some questions in your mind, I hope, because that hopefully we can meet that expectation. So, but yes, the branches were broken off. It says that. And so we can't say, well, maybe they are and maybe they are not. No, they were broken off. So point B is, what does it mean that some branches have been broken off? That's the question that should jump out in your mind. So there's like six points to consider. First, it does not mean loss of salvation. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So we know breaking it's not about somebody who was saved and then they were lost it's not about that we're going to figure out what it is but it's not that now the reason why i have to pause here for a second is because there are so many theologies out there that think about branches being grafted in branches being broken off all this as warnings to us about salvation. But you know, as I was reading and studying this, I thought, I'm not really mad at him for, for doing that, for taking this branch analogy to a place where it shouldn't be, because really they have no other place to go. Uh, the reason they don't have a place to go is because their theology is limited. 
Their theology is limited by their understanding of what the goal is. Salvation to them is the goal in all pursuits. It is the end goal. It is the end game. So if you're saved, then this is the uh, object of our lives here, is to be saved. You know, <laughs> there's that song, I want to be in that number. We're marching to Zion and all these things, uh, you know, uh, that's in, really ingrained in our minds that salvation is the number one goal. So if that is your theology, then how can you possibly look at any scriptures that go beyond what salvation is? You can't. So, I, like I said, I'm not mad that they've taken these things out of context and applied them to salvation, but just to understand why they've done it is because they have limited the scriptures to a salvation construct. So their theology is only about getting saved, which is, by the way, free. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It has nothing to do with us. So we want to determine what it is. I just wanted to say what it is not. It is not somebody who is saved and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're broken off because of unbelief. We'll have to deal with that. Point two. The context is about Israel being in a state of stupor, a hardness of heart, and eyes that are darkened and cannot see. Now that's verse, this is where we are, Romans 11, verses 7 through 10. It describes all that. I'll read it. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear. To this very day, and David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs bent forever. So this is language that talks about Israel, national Israel, and it shows what happened in terms of their the culmination of their disobedience was the rejection and crucifixion of their Messiah. So they are in a place of discipline right now. And God is working on another front altogether, which is what we know as the church. So that is the context we've been dealing with. Obviously, Israel has complained to God. We saw it in several passages. Uh, we won't go over all those passages again. But yeah, that's what they've done. They've complained. And we see God meticulously taking his time, explaining himself, even though he doesn't have to, because he can sovereignly do what he wants. And not just sovereignly, but righteously he has done it. So it is not God pushing his way around. He can do what he wants righteously and he has done just that by bringing many sons into glory and this age which was hidden from Israel and past generations and angels and hid in God now it's available now we're 
God has unveiled what was in his heart about this whole thing. Point number three in our notes. Israel has been removed as God's representatives on the ground. So we know when I say that, you know we've been discussing this point, and hopefully if it's not clear, then we need to go back and make sure that you see that this is the point of the context. That this is Israel is not God, they are not God's people right now. And this is a quote, as far as the gospel is concerned. Now remember, they're supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, and we're going to read that verse. Uh, but how are they going to be a light to the Gentile if they don't have the gospel? Well, here, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. That's coming up in Romans eleven twenty eight. So we know that they are not functioning in the role that God called them to. So they, it is very clear. And as we know what the gospel is now, we, we can easily say Israel, they're enemies. Well, listen, they crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, he, was, he came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. That's the next point. Israel rejected their Messiah, John 1.11. This is point four. And therefore, the gospel, he, conf he confirmed. Jesus came not only to tell them what the gospel was, but he confirmed all the Old Testament types and shadows, all the prophecies. Uh, about him in the Old Testament. He confirmed it. So through signs and wonders and miracles, he demonstrated beyond any doubt that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So um, they rejected that. And point five, as a consequence, because, quote, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. That's 11. 11, 11. So we know um, this is all kind of helping us rehearse the context. That's why, why we're going here. So this point six, this does not mean that all Gentiles are now saved. I don't know how you would say salvation has come to the Gentiles. Uh, and it means that all Gentiles are saved. That is absolutely not the case. Right? But it, mean, <coughs> it means that the church is temporarily God's representatives on the ground while Israel is disciplined. That's Romans eleven thirteen. I am talking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul is telling them, look, I'm... I recognize my calling. I, I am. He says, I take pride in my ministry. So he's happy to be where he is in the church as an apostle to the Gentiles. And just remember, he was a Pharisee. Do you think he took pride in that? Well, absolutely he did. However, not anymore. Now he understands the transition of calling, his calling to is from Israel to his calling in the church. He has transitioned fully. He is not even looking back. In fact, he says, um, whatever was profit to me, I consider loss for the sake of gaining Christ and being found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness which is by faith. And this, you know, there's some striking scriptures, passages that he has there in Philippians 3 that kind of sets the stage and helps you understand where Paul is. And when he tells you he takes pride in his ministry, he's talking about the church. And uh, so it's, it's very clear that now the church has that responsibility. This is a pivotal point, and I'm hoping that uh, it's clear because it, it is very pivotal as we think about uh, the verses going forward in this chapter. So point number six. This does not mean that all Gentiles are now saved, but that the church is temporarily God's representatives. I think we kind of read that already on the ground while Israel is being disciplined. So point C. If the branches have been broken off, are they lost forever? This is so. So think about it. If the branches have been broken off, are they lost forever? That's a good question because we know we're going to talk about more about them being broken off, but are they lost forever? And the answer is absolutely not because look at Romans 11, 1 and 2. And Paul was certainly one who, if anything, he hated Christ. He hated the church. He did not believe in uh, this transition from uh, one dispensation to another. He wanted to maintain the Mosaic Law, and even at the cost of persecuting the church. So, but Paul says this, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham, and from the tribe of Benjamin. Meaning, I'm saved. And yes, I'm, my culture was Jewish. I was there, and I'm saved. So if anything, if Paul would have continued in his unbelieving state, he would have been one of those branches that was broken off. But he is restored in the church because he hated Christ. He persecuted the, the church. You would have to say he was one of those branches uh, that was broken off because of unbelief. However, he's telling you now that he believes. So he's no longer... Um, in that state anymore. So if some, of, if some of the branches have been broken off, so not all of the branches are broken off, some of them. And we know uh, there are a lot of Jews who believed. So we can't say that uh, they were all broken off, but we learned, and this is a point we learned from Isaiah chapter 28, but it wasn't just, just individual people, but it's Israel as a nation. That's what the leadership of Israel rejected Christ. And those, as it says in Isaiah 28, you who rule this people. Right? He's talking about the leadership. They rejected Christ to his face. Yes, some individual people did believe, but it wasn't enough for the nation to um, to have not rejected Christ. The nation crucified him. So let's get to this next phrase. And you, though a wild olive shoot. So this, and you, uh, when he says, uh, that is, you Gentiles. 
and that's 1113. I am talking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. We already read that verse earlier, but he's, he's talking about, to Gentiles, how we now have this role. So the, the N-U is a reference to Gentiles, and point B is wild olive shoot. That's what they're called. So here's the Greek word, and this is what it means. It means, it has two definitions from there. One of or belonging to the oleaster or wild olive. Number two, the oleaster, the wild olive tree. So um, it's qu quite interesting that this word... Uh, where it's translated uh, in the Greek, but it means it means an oleaster. So uh, I could go to point C. Let's just go to point C. Maybe it'll develop the definition. Why are Gentiles called a wild olive shoot? So this metaphor refers to an actual olive tree that is wild, meaning not kept. Or properly cultivated an oleaster producing and this is what it's uh, this I got from Wikipedia feral olive trees that have been allowed to run wild so what happens is this this um, you could say it's a species of olive tree it actually produces olives uh, Russia has them. Uh, there's other places in the world that has this. Uh, and from my research, that's, you know, obviously they're in Israel. And what, what this is, is there are cultivated olive trees, meaning cared for. Uh, you know, they have done everything to make sure that they're, uh, what they're producing is good. And then there's wild olive trees, which you just might find out anywhere. Not cultivated, just out there and these wild olive trees the olives very little value they're not very good uh, you know it's just uh, so so they're called wild meaning they grow wild all over the place but they're not the ones that produce good olive oil or good olives so it's a it's a metaphor and it refers to Gentiles right? we, we already said wild olive shoot refers to Gentiles. Uh, so that, that hopefully is helpful to understand where we're coming from when he says, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, so okay, he's talking about Gentiles. And point number three is, have been grafted in among the others. Okay, so now we got to talk about grafted in. What does that mean? It means to cut into for the sake of inserting a skin to uh, to inoculate engraft uh, or graft in so graft grafted in is a good translation it's pretty good because it sort of does speak to that I don't know if you've ever seen something that is grafted you can you can cut the the one plant or tree and then you, you cut the other part of, the, let's say, the wild olive shoot, and you kind of cut it 
in the same angle so that when you put them together, they fit together nicely. Then they tape them together or they put plastic around them so that what ends up happening is they are they grow together. So the wild olive shoot uh, can actually grow and take on the properties of the cultured or cultivated olive tree. So and and so that's what he's saying. You've been grafted in. Grafted in is is a term that's also used for other plants and trees. Uh, so it's not unique to what we're talking about. So it's sort of common. So point C, grafted into what? So when it says we have been grafted in, what is that? And this is a key and very pivotal point as well. Because I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and they refer to Romans 11 and they talk about how, oh yeah, 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 we're grafted in, we're grafted in. So what do they mean? And uh, it, they're all over the place with what the meaning is. But, so let's just state it. What it is, first, what it is not. It is not Israel. Okay, we're not grafted into Israel. Now think about it, because if we were grafted into Israel, then we would be Israel. But no, uh, we're not grafted into... Here's what we have to understand as what it means, what we've come into. The visible people of God in this world. And so who is it? What happens to us when we become believers in this age? We are baptized into the body of Christ, into the church. That's what happens to believers in this age. You just have to ask yourself, what happens if I believe in Christ in this age? Am I grafted into Israel? Absolutely not. We already said what happened to Israel. They're sleeping right now. They're on pause. They're being disciplined. So not only we're not grafted into Israel, but we're grafted, when, when it says grafted, it means that we are assuming the role that Israel had. Okay, we're, that's what's going on. So it's, it's not we're grafted into Israel. We're still the church, but we're assuming the role, part of the role that Israel had. And here's the quote, quote, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So not only are we ministers of reconciliation, right? he has committed to us this message. In other words, it's ours now. He has given it to us. He has ordained us to have this role, which did belong to Israel. But now it is conferred upon us. Now, us not meaning we're, we're not a nation. The church is not a nation in the world. The church is made up of individual believers in every nation. It could be anywhere. It does not, and we're not under any Mosaic law. The whole, it's certainly wrong thinking to think that we are somehow Israel. So he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. To note, point D, this is the message Israel should have been taking 
they should have taken this message to the nations. Nations means, the word nations, ethnos, is translated Gentiles, just to note. So when we, when you think about this, ministers, ambassadors, right, this is the role that God is telling us, that, that God was uh, in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and so forth. Right? That message of grace, of how the atonement uh, takes us off the hook with regard to sin. They were supposed to go and tell the nations that message. Imagine that. Israel would have been out there telling people about grace and how it's undeserved, how God sovereignly bestowed salvation and did all the work necessary in terms of paying for the sins, uh, in terms of providing the righteous standing that we need so that we can be reconciled. All of that is done courtesy of the grace of God. Israel was supposed to tell that to the Gentiles, and they refused that themselves. So uh, they should have taken that message to the nations. That was their job. That was their role, and they did not do it. So what does God do in their failure? He takes that away from them, that part of who they are and what they will be, and he gives it to us. So what I will say throughout is that it's temporary. Our taking and assuming that role is temporary. Because when we leave here in the rapture, we, what happens? Israel takes it back. They begin uh, again as a nation. As we, we covered that already in Revelation. We saw how they were developed and what was their character. We saw all of that uh, in Revelation. So point E so they have been grafted in among the others, right? So he's talking about Gentiles now, assuming that role. Now, is it only Gentiles? That's a good point because, no, it says among the others. Who's these others? Right, so point E, among the others. Jews who are believers are part of the visible people of God on the ground right now. Right? This would include all the apostles, of course. So when we read Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, let's just look at that. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, it says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So he's talking about the work that has been done. He's destroyed. Now, what's the dividing wall of hostility? He's talking about the law. Well, it says in the next verse, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself, in Christ, one new, and it's really man, one new man, or they have a translated here as humanity, out of the two, thus making peace. So this new, we always want to note that the new is not just like a new baby, but it's new never before seen. It's kainos new. So just like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
So when we say new, we're not just talking about new with reference to time. We're saying unprecedented new, never before seen new. So there's something unique about us. And God brought the two groups together. Who's the two groups? Jews and Gentiles. He brought them both together to create this, this unity that we have in Christ, this oneness. So that's point E. We, let's read that again. Uh, the Jews who are believers are part of the visible people of God on the ground. That, and that's it. Now, when we say, obviously, we, we know the scriptures. We know that in Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, right? We know that's true because we are one. We are a new creation, right? It takes us out of what our culture was and, and brings us into this oneness that we have in Christ. So we understand that, but for the sake of helping Jews understand this transition of what God is doing in this age, he is helping them understand it from the standpoint of Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles have been grafted in. Jews who are in are already in. And we're not just talking about unbelieving Jews here. We're talking about believing Jews. Believing Jews, once you're in Christ and the baptism spirit, we just said, you're not a Jew anymore. But for the sake of argument, God did not cast away the Jews. Some of them are right there in the church. And they're just like Paul says, I'm myself, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a believer. So he did get it. He, he was justified and he accepted the call and he's in the church. So that's the point of reading Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 as well. Point F, this group, this new group is made up of Jews and Gentiles. It is the church who assumed this responsibility of Israel's until they are restored. Now, really, I should say until the, react, the, rapture, the rapture of the church, when God catches, up, catches us in, uh, up in the air, to meet the Lord. So that's when it's over for us. We're gone at that point. And that could happen any time. There's no prophecy that has to be fulfilled prior. God could catch us away tomorrow if that is his desire. So point F is basically saying this: we're in the church. Now, even though we're talking about the visible people of God, we could say that the church is still not Israel. That doesn't mean because we've assumed this responsibility before God that now somehow we have morphed into Israel. We are not Israel. We are the church. And I try to use the visible people of God on the earth because that's, that helps us understand the purpose of what God has called us to, that we would be witnesses on the earth, his physical people with our feet on the ground. God always wants to have his visible people on the earth. Right now, it was Israel, but right now, it's the church. So, uh, even though we've assumed this role, we're not Israel. Point G, I think that's what I'm saying here. <laughs> Point G, I keep getting ahead of myself, huh? So, remember the church may have assumed this role, but we are not a nation under the law. We have assumed only this responsibility and our callings 
our callings, the two of our callings, the church's calling and Israel's callings, are different as well as our inheritance. Do we even need to talk about that? That Israel's inheritance is the land. That is not the church's inheritance. We inherit what we might call all things. All things are yours. Uh, there's a difference when we, when, it, when we speak about our inheritance. So we, we just have to make sure we understand that, like it says in Ephesians, um, you know, he says that, pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great, great power for us who believe. And then he goes on and tells us what kind of power, what that's like. So, so this is, that's Ephesians 1. 17 and 18 or 18 and 19 or somewhere but that thought is to say that we have a different inheritance than israel but yes we have assumed this role as ambassadors as i've already read uh, as those who do take the gospel to the world right to wherever we are in every nation and um so, and we're not under the law. That's important. Uh, if, if you really, if, you, if this is not familiar to you, all of the way this happens, or we've been talking about it, we need to rehearse it because it's important. You will be asked uh, this question, you know, about, well, what does it mean you're grafted in? Who is it grafted in? Aren't we spiritual Jews and why not? Right? Uh, because remember, People only see a limited view of what God's plan is. They don't, they, as far as they're concerned, God's plan is only to get them saved. That's it. And then they're going to talk about how glorious salvation is. But it is not that. It is, salvation is free. It is no, it, there's nothing that we can do for salvation. But our role as ambassador, God has charged us with not only uh, give the gospel, but to help those understand the, the calling. So it's, this is perfectly stated in 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, which says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. So those two things are, are two objectives. In the church is, one, we have a, a, an evangelistic outreach to the world. Two, we want to bring those who are saved to the full knowledge and understanding of our calling, which is, like Paul says, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. That's somewhere, in, that's, no, that's in Ephesians 3. Eight and nine, so so right in there, Paul gives our marching orders uh, about how we ought to be preaching about the mystery, right? The administration of this mystery, right? How does it work, right? God has revealed this, and it is our responsibility to pick up the the ball and run with it as well. So, so those two objectives are part of what God has laid on us in this age, our ambassadorship and for us to be 
fulfilling the roles that he has given us in terms of our spiritual gifts, but we all need to come to that understanding of the mystery, the deep things of God. So that was point G. So we talked about the different calls, Israel and our inheritance. Point H, we are a heavenly people playing a temporary earthly role. Just think about that. A heavenly people, that's who we are, playing a temporary earthly role. I just will go to 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. That will be, it talks about our destiny. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So we're a heavenly people. We're not of this world. Christ says, I have chosen you out of the world. And yet we have this responsibility. That, you know, our destiny will eventually be in the heavenly realms. And this is what one says. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Uh, So that heavenly dwelling is where we belong. That's our home. That's where we will feel at home once we get there. So it's almost like if you've been on a long trip, and uh, you finally, from hotel to hotel, and then finally, yeah, you might have had a good time, wherever you were. But you know what? When you get home, you finally get to that familiar place where all of the things you have collected and the prop, the foods that you like and all the things that make you comfortable. And you get home and you feel, oh, I can relax. And you say, there's no place like home. And you feel at home. Well, you know what? When we get to heaven, this, we were created for this very purpose. Right? And this is literally what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 5. It says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So we're, we're not of this world. Israel is of this world. So this goes to say that a lot of this, uh, our role here in the world, with our feet on the ground, is temporary. It's a temporary role. Israel's job is here. They are of this world, and they will eventually, uh, this is where they will reside. That is, this world is their destiny as well. So that, and then there's Ephesians 1, 17 through 23, which we Uh, alluded to earlier. So let's look at that. Ephesians 1, 17 says, and we're we're coming to a close soon. I keep asking uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, 
not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is not talking about Israel. They were not raised to this place. This is talking about the church. We were elevated to this position. This is who we are. This is our destiny. So we're here playing a role. Yes, it says we've been grafted in. Grafted in what? This role, right? That's what, and when it talks about we're getting ready to get into this olive tree and all of that, um, and maybe what we should do is stop and see if there are any questions. But let's go through this. I, I think it's going to take a while because there's some scriptures here that I, I will say, uh, we'll, we'll just give the first part of it and then we're going to have to close and we'll leave some time for some Q&A, at least 10, 15 minutes of. So what is, so, so this last part, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. So we share in it. What is the, what is the olive tree metaphor? Well, if you go back to Zechariah, Four, 4, 1 through uh, 14. Let's just look at Zechariah quickly. And 4. And I have 14 verses here. You could skim it, but I'm just going to... It's a prophecy. And then the... 1. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone wakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered... I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. And also, <clears throat> and, and there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who, who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, uh, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple. His hands will also, be, will, will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel? This is the rebuilding of the temple prophecy. I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. 
So we get these olive trees, the picture of these olive trees with the lamp stand, right? And point B, the olive trees represent the visible people of God in the world, Israel. And the lampstand would be Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself, or as we are going to see, the root. God always had a witness in the world from believers. He's always had it. He's talking about Israel's call. And there's a couple scriptures in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, uh, 6. Let's look at that. Um, Isaiah 42, 6 says, he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. And a, here it is, a light for the Gentiles. Uh, the actual 49.6 says pretty much the same thing. 49.6 says, uh, oh, wait a minute. 49.6 says, he says, is, it is too small a thing for you, uh, for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So I'm just thinking about purpose here. And God has a purpose for Israel, and he's stating it right here, saying that this is what my I want you, Israel, to do. In the last verse, we said that he's covenanted with them, uh, and they are to be a light to the Gentiles. They're also to restore the tribes of Jacob, because they were wayward at the time. But notice, uh, to make you a light to the Gentiles. So that part where Israel was supposed to go out and give the gospel to the world, was left uncovered by Israel. They did not do the job that God wanted them to do. Hence, the discipline right, that they eventually incurred as a result of not believing the gospel. How could they have taken a gospel that they didn't believe to the Gentiles? So I think we'll finish this up next week. Uh, I just want you to get some of the metaphors an understanding of the olive tree and being grafted into the olive tree. Why are we grafted in? Because the, the same purpose that Israel had, we now have in terms of uh, the evangelizing the world that is now on the church to do. Uh, later, we'll get to more um, understanding as this metaphor continues to unfold. We're going to pause here. And we'll finish up these just a little bit next week. And then we'll launch into the next verse as well. So we'll pause to see if there are any questions or thoughts before we close in prayer. Yeah, I have a question. Sure. Go right ahead, Bill. Actually, two questions. So um, one was, you know that, I was speaking to someone and they said that they wasn't going to destroy the earth. It was going to be renewed. Um, but we, we got to have an understanding that God is going to, there's nothing salvageable here on earth and he's going to destroy it and create a new, a new earth. But 
So that's one question. The second one was, um, the Bible talks about creating a new heaven and a new earth. So why wasn't there anything salvageable in the heavens that he had to create a new heaven also? Okay, so the first question is um, about, is there a new earth and a new heavens, right? I think that was the thought. Is there a new heavens and a new earth? Uh, or is it completely destroyed? Is it renewed or is it completely destroyed? I think that was the question. It's both. Is that was funny. Right, that was for Yeah, so it's, it's, it's both. So for the millennium, the earth that is here will be restored to uh, uh, when Christ comes to rule, it will be changed. Uh, there's there's some things in the millennium that are changed. We talked about the ferocity of animals. There'll be enough food. Everybody will have plenty to eat. Um, the temperature, right? There will be no more desert. Uh, there, you know, there's a lot of different things that change in uh, even not just the topography of the earth, but uh, as we talked about the ferocity of animals and so forth. Uh, there's going to be uh, the lifespan will be increased. It won't be, you know, three score and ten. Uh, and there's a lot of things that happen. So that's the restored earth where Christ will come and he will rule this earth with a rod of iron. But then, when it's all said and done, after the millennial reign of Christ, thousand years are over, people are loosed out of the prison and so forth, and uh, Satan is loosed, rather, and then uh, he goes out and deceives the nations, are in the four corners of the earth and then uh, fire comes down and then there's the great white throne judgment and everything is restored in terms of created new all over not only the heavens but also the whole universe is destroyed peter talks about it the elements will melt with fervent heat and everything therein will be burned up everything's going to be destroyed and this is after, and there will be no more sin, no more unrighteousness at all, forever. Human history will be over, and uh, so that will happen at the very end. So two things happen. For the thousand years, it is re restored. Uh, it is a renewed earth, but then it, after the rebellion, it is destroyed. And not only that, but the universe the whole universe is made all over again. It'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And so we read all that in Revelation, I believe 2021, you can get all that. Uh, so what was the other question again? Just remind me. So, I mean, we, we understood that there was nothing redeemable on the earth, but why the heavens? Well, the heavens were, are, are where the evil angels have their abode. So um, I guess the point would be wherever sin has uh, infected, that God is going to uh, totally renew it. He's going to get rid of all of the vestiges of there won't be any remembrance whatsoever. Uh, and we don't even know what the properties of. Look, everybody will be in resurrection bodies. So what we know today as earth and, you know, who's to say what changes there will be in the eternal state? Nobody can actually say. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see 
how that all goes. But yes, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. All sin and unrighteousness will will not return in any sense of the word. It will be completely eradicated anywhere sin has touched. So that will be the reason why everything has to be destroyed. I pause, Bill. Okay, I'm good. Um, the, the two, the two, unless someone else have another question, I don't want to take up all the time. Well, let's see, but maybe we can get to your other question. But go ahead. Uh, other thoughts out there? That's a good question, Bill. I, I'd like to hear his next one. <laughs> so you, you had gave up the analogy of the, uh, the two olive trees. Yes. I just didn't quite get the full understanding. Um, one of the olive trees, you said, was Israel, and the other one was Christ? No, both of them were Israel. Uh, Christ, in that scenario, is the lampstand in the middle of the olive trees. I think that was in point B. Olive trees represent the visible people of God in the world, and that would have been Israel at the time. The lampstand would be Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself, or the root. So it's a different analogy than what we're dealing with in Romans 11, although it does give you some of the basic understanding of what an olive tree is and what the lampstand is and it's the light of the world and the olive trees represent uh, uh, getting the, the visible people of God on the ground, getting the word out. Christ is the very center of, of what they're doing. And while they're getting out the word, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. So, so it, but in Romans 11, it doesn't really, Paul is not using that he, because obviously there is no grafting in from Gentiles or any of that into that role. So Paul has just kind of modified it and made his own point about the, the you know, us being grafted in, a, a wild olive shoot being grafted into the olive tree. And what's the olive tree? Well, that's the role that Israel had. Uh, it is, fits the same thought as the, the Zechariah passage of what is an olive tree and how is it represented and, you know, in prophecy. You know, even you get the two witnesses that, that are also in uh, Zechariah and they're in Revelation 11. And they do talk about how they witness uh, and... I believe this is how the 144,000 come into play. But yeah, so so that's why the analogy doesn't fit perfectly from what Zechariah chapter 4 says, but it does say in principle what the olive trees are, uh, and that's what they represent. And then you take that into Romans 11, and you take the principle of that we're the visible people of God now. We're being grafted in. And who's he talking about? Gentiles now being grafted into this position. Uh, nobody would have known that. Gen uh, Jews certainly wouldn't have had that anywhere in the scriptures. The only thing you're going to find in the Old Testament is where Jews have that calling. And they are a light to the Gentiles, which is why I read those couple passages. So they are the ones who are supposed to take the gospel to the nations. Uh, not the other way around. Right? So, so, but anyway, um, that's the thought of why 
why Paul uses that term of us being grafted in. He's helping the Jew understand uh, in language that they would understand about the olive tree. I will pause, Bill. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, that was an excellent question, Bill, because um, I was asking, I was thinking about the same thing. In, but in the passages, in, with the passage in Zechariah, there are two olive trees and there are two branches. So you said they are both Israel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. So what what is the distinction between why are there two? Well, Israel had, there were two nations in Israel. So we were talking about Israel and Judah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, so that's how, how I would understand the two olive trees. And and and, and the center of them is, uh, and, but when with those two nations, it wasn't like the 12 tribes were, were in both nations. Some tribes were in, uh, Israel, some tribes were in Judah, so um, it, which made up the 12 tribes. There were two nations, and sometimes when uh, they were disciplined, one nation was disciplined, but not the other. So the one we read, remember when we read about, um, um, you know, Gomer and, uh, you know, how she was a prostitute and she was told to marry and so forth, and then it was Israel that was destroyed. And, but Judah is where a lot of people who were believers fle fled to, to the city of Judah. And this is where the remnant <clears throat> was able, God was able to use that remnant to rebuild Israel. <clears throat> there was always a remnant. Anyway, that's the thought. But the, the principle about the olive trees is the principle that God's people in, have a role in this world. They're supposed to have a role. Well, they weren't performing that role, so obviously they were disciplined. As we read, you know, let may their table become a snare and a retribution to them and so forth. In other words, the very thing, the table, that was what they're supposed to lead with, it was tripping them up. It was a retribution to them because they were unbelievers. So... Obviously, they didn't fulfill their purpose, and that was that was a problem. So what's happening? Well, God has put Israel to sleep for the most part, but there are still some Jews who have joined the church, as Paul pointed out. So it's not all, you know, hopeless. Excuse me, it's not hopeless. There are some Jews who did join the church, but um, the leadership, for the most part, has rejected uh, not only the church, but the calling, the whole idea of the church. So, so that's <clears throat> so that's why it talks. Paul doesn't use two olive trees. He just says, "Well, we were grafted into the olive tree." Well, what does he mean? We're not grafted into Israel. We're grafted into the role that Israel had, which is that God wants to have His visible people with their boots on the ground. That's what he wants to have on the earth. <clears throat> so the church is fulfilling that role. We're not a nation, but we're in every nation. And we have the responsibility to be ambassadors. He's given us this ministry. So, And obviously Israel does not have it right now. So I'll pause, Dwight. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or...
Yes, well, you answered the question and beyond, which was good. It's giving me uh, the full picture. Thanks. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. looks like we're running right through to the, the, the moment here, to the time. Uh, we're going to have to end it. But listen, I maybe we need to leave 20 minutes for questions next week. So <laughs> we'll keep working on that. Uh, and uh, what I might do is send out some questions this week, questions for thought. And they can be answered in any Q&A that we have. So, um, And they will, they will be about some of the particulars here that we've covered. And I think we just need to rehearse this information so that it becomes second nature to us. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for your grace. And we should thank you, Father, for our role that we have as ambassadors for Christ. And Father, we, uh, we understand the responsibility that you have placed upon our shoulders. And we not only want to learn the gospel and know the gospel, we understand it in the way that uh, uh, you have taught it in your word, having the foundation of truth that we could go out and tell others of the glorious gospel uh, and help others come to know Christ and, and help them to understand what is necessary for them to become, to become a believer, one who is saved by grace eternally. So we thank you for this study, and the words that are here in Scripture. We pray that uh, we will come to know them for ourselves. And that whatever is not clear, that we will ask the questions. Just ask so that we could see and hash these things out for ourselves so that they become part of who we are uh, in this role. Uh, so as we have seen the failures of Israel, we do not want to repeat those failures. We want to be about your business. So... Father, we thank you for, for those who have joined. We continue to pray for those who are still grieving on, on the loss of loved ones. We pray that uh, you will comfort their hearts, Father, going forward, help them know and understand uh, that all these things are in your power, in your hands. And you know best uh, when it comes to these things. Thank you, Father, for your love and your guidance that you have given us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right. Amen. Right.